Um, our hope for this series is to let you see uh, that the Bible can be interpreted differently uh, and that different interpretations of Bible stories maybe um, help us to understand it each time we read it at a deeper level. We can always dig something else out um, as we grow in our faith and as we mature uh, in, our, in our age, but also in our understanding of Scripture. Um, and maybe point out some of the traps that we all kind of fall into as we read Scripture and encourage you to have an eye for details. And so it's our goal for you to walk away from this sermon series to be uh, a better and more confident a reader and interpreter of Scripture. Um, it's always okay as you're reading Scripture uh, to ask questions in your head or want to go out and dig them out and like why, why this or how that. I mean, so uh, Scripture is, is meant to be dug into and, and to understood. And um, so our, our hope is that uh, we'll, we'll help you learn sort of the basics of it. Uh, some of you probably are already really good at it, but we, we want you to understand uh, sort of the head part of reading Scripture, that, that understanding the, the author, um, who the author is, who they're writing to, why are they writing, and sort of the historical context around that uh, are, are really helpful things in you being able to interpret the Scripture. Uh, it's good to understand the historical context of sort of what was going on around the writing of the particular text that you're studying. And sometimes in Scripture we will see the same or a similar story used in a different way. Like today, our texts are the same story, but they're from a very, very different perspective, and they have um, different authors. So tradition holds that Moses is the author of the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, but scholars believe there were actually um, several contributing editors or groups of people that helped to uh, create and edit uh, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus. And so the first five the first four. There's primarily four different sources. So do you think we should give them a test on this when we're done? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pop quiz. <laughs> so the first and likely the oldest source is the Yahwist. And the edits um, or the content from this source focus a lot on God's promises of salvation for the Israelite people. Um, and they're called the Yahwist source because they refer to God using the word Yahweh. And in this account, um, God is often given like some human characteristics and feelings. Um, it's a, like a close and personal God. And we'll see a little bit of that in the second account of creation that we talk about today. Um, and this one is called the J text because Yahweh starts with a J in German. And so the second source is the Eloist source. And that's because it uses the word Elohim for God. Uh, which translates to Lord God. And this source focuses primarily on Israel's response to God. And then the third is the Deuteronomist source um, because it's largely responsible for the book of Deuteronomy um, and also some of the other historical books like Joshua and Judges, First and Second Kings. Um, and it's kind of the most independent source of the four. And then finally, it is the priestly source, which would have been the most recent. Uh, and this one wouldn't necessarily be a, a single author, even group, that created content, but rather sort of went back after and edited and revised and added. Because it was priests, uh, the Israelite priests, who added this, this 
content. And let me, let me add that uh, Elohim, uh, which is a name for God, is not unique to the Elohists. Um, the Yahweh uh, folks use it as well. So they often will say Yahweh uh, Elohim, which means like the Lord God. So, um, so the Elohim calling God Elohim is not unique to the Elohist. Um, it's used by others as well. But um, just wanted to, to say that that's not an exclusive use because you will see if you look at your Bibles and if you're looking at the, the Strong's words and looking at them, you'll see it's Yahweh or Elohim or Yahweh Elohim. So. And so today we're going to be looking at a J text, which is the Yahweh's text, and a P text, which is the priestly text. And um, the idea is that the Yahwist wrote uh, their account, and then the priestly group came, came around and um, added um, more in front of it. And one of the things we'll see about the, the priestly writing is that it was, you know, very stylized. It often used poetry, um, and God was, like, big and mighty in, in the priestly accounts. Um, as compared to the more personal um, God that we see in the, in the J text. So um, we're looking at the two accounts of creation. There's one in Genesis 1 and one in Genesis 2. Did you guys know that there were two accounts of creation? Okay, good. So uh, the account of creation in Genesis 1 goes day by day. And so I mentioned just a second ago that the priestly text had this like very stylized form of Hebrew poetry, which in Hebrew um, is really evident and beautiful. And, and as we translate it, we just get to see like hints of some of that poetry. So for instance, you see the repetition, like when God declares each day good, and that happens seven times. And as each day is made, there was evening and there was morning the first day, the second day. So that, that repetition um, hints at that poetry that, that exists in this style. So it's important to kind of note and, and get out there that Genesis 1 is not a historical or a scientific account of creation. Uh, there are um, groups of Christians who follow a theology that says that it was a actual six 24-hour days um, and that this account gives us that um, that literal interpretation, but um, we do not hold that it was six 24-hour days. The format of the days was a stylistic choice, um, a poetic choice consistent with this priestly, um, these priestly authors and the way that they wrote and the way they in, um, interpreted the actions of God. But listen really carefully to understand that just because I say that the words in this chapter are not to be taken literally, that does not mean that there is not truth. There is larger truth that is made known to us in the words of Genesis chapter 1 and this poetic description of creation. And we're going to look at a few of those truths over the next few minutes. Uh, there is the truth that God is eternal. And this account of creation always assumes and never argues God's existence. We read that everything has a beginning except God. God just has always been. God just is. And God forevermore will be. There is the truth that God is all-powerful. In this account, God the Almighty speaks everything into existence. And God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. All things are brought into being merely by God speaking. God speaks humanity into existence, beginning in chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So right off the bat, in verse 26, there is truth about the nature of God. And verse 26 brings up one of the most common questions that we get like in confirmation class or in Bible studies, and that's the question of who is us in verse 26? Let us make humankind. And in these words, God speaks as the creator and announces his work, um, his plans to sort of the heavenly court. And for the Israelites, that may have been interpreted as the angels. Uh, For our Christian interpretation, we see it as a reflection of our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, present for eternity. And we support those words with, and that thought, with John chapter 1 which speaks of Jesus as present with God from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the account continues with verse 27. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So there's truth here that God speaks male and female into existence together, both alike, bearing the image of God, made to be partners, neither superior over the other in nature or in practice. Together they share in the blessing that God speaks in the following verses, verses 28 through 30. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. As God's representatives in the world, we are blessed through these words with the privilege and the responsibility to be stewards of all these gifts, of God's creation. Not to exploit creation, but to care for it and to use it for the betterment of God or for the glory of God and for the betterment of humanity. And so there is this truth also in this ver- these verses that everything comes from God. From the very beginning, God has been providing for us and continues to provide for us. Uh, even the air in our lungs, breath to breath, is because of God. And so after God blesses, Uh, male and female, and gives them over to care for creation. He declares in verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Notice how in every other day of creation, 
the, your past readings of this chapter, God saw that it was good after each day, but after creating humanity, God saw that it was very good. And this speaks to sort of the completeness of creation. Uh, it's the seventh time that this refrain occurs, and seven often represents wholeness or perfection in the Bible. Overall, I think that the truth that we see in this chapter is not so much about how God created the world and humanity, but about why God created the world and humanity. God didn't need us. God doesn't need anything. We just read about him speaking everything into existence. God created us to love God and to love one another. And that's the whole point of, well, for me, everything. The truth of this text is that we are created in God's image. And why should that matter? What does that mean to us, that we are created in God's image? It means that each of us, every human, is worthy of honor and respect, that each of us can be made righteous and be sanctified through the work of God, which for us comes in the form of Christ and Christ's work on the cross that makes us justified and brings us in right relationship with God. And we are sanctified and made holy through the work of the Holy Spirit. There is this truth in these words that we are more than just this mortal shell that we exist in, but that we each have a divine spark, an inherent worth that is a gift from God's creation of us. And that can be the cornerstone of our identity as children of God. So no matter who or what the world tells us we are, we can remember whose we are and why we were made. There is a really beautiful worship song called So Will I, and uh, I can't sing it, but I'm gonna speak <laughs> a few of the words for you because it's a really beautiful reminder of why God made us and what God's nature is and how we can reflect that. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow down in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. And so we shall. And then uh, it moves into the second account of creation, not at chapter two, but in the last few verses of chapter one. Yeah, so you've heard the priestly account of creation. Um, the Yahwehist has a, a different account. And um, as I was kind of digging into this, uh, we kind of focused on the sort of creation of humanity. Uh, but, but really this whole piece uh, by the Yahwehist hangs together. Uh, from chapter 2, verse 4, to the end of chapter 3. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in uh, the text, between the text that I'm going to read with you. But I, I hope you noticed, as she lifted up, that in the first one, 
God effortlessly spoke things into creation. In this text, um, God is more like a potter. God creates man out of the dust. And so um, we're going to start with uh, Genesis 2, uh, and we're going to start with verses 7 through 9. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and where he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also was in the midst of the garden and good for food. I'm sorry, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was there. So, so in this, um, we see that, that God has created man, not spoken, but molded, and, and the breath of life put into him. I mean, I don't know if you do this, but when I think about the creation stories, I kind of mash them together. Um, I, I, I forget that there's this one account where humanity is spoken, and then there's this other account where, where humanity is created uh, by God, uh, by his own hands. We, we see in the, the text that we read that God planted a garden. Um, we don't know how he planted it, but, but you see God at work, God doing things. In the account between the text I just read and the one I'm going to read to you, there's a description of where Eden is. It, it's why some people think that they can find the actual Garden of Eden because there's these descriptions of these rivers. And, and so God has created man. God has created a place for man to live. And he, he's given man a job. He had work to do, which was to tend the garden. And I think God kind of looks up and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates all of the animals and, and he brings them by Adam and Adam names them one by one. I mean, so we have giraffes because Adam called the giraffe the giraffe or the elephant, the elephant. And so God has made these creatures uh, to be a partner, really, uh, with Adam. But we read in the text that a suitable partner was not found amongst these animals. And it's like God has an aha moment in this text in, in which he goes, oh, I'll make another one like him, but different. And so our text here starts with uh, verses 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. So, so we look at what the author is doing here. 
He's creating this story. God and God has made man and has God has made woman. Uh, in the previous text, God has spoken everything into existence. So, so you can see the author of this, the Yahweh, is, has a different take on sort of how God works and who God is and how we interact with them. And, and so um, the author is painting this picture of a paradise. We have a God that has created us, and we live in this paradise, and he walks with us, and he talks with us. He, he comes looking for us in the text. And Adam and Eve are in perfect relationship with God, and they walk together amongst the garden. Scripture says, in the cool of the evening, which is sort of a, a uniquely human thing for God to do. And so, they have set this up as a beautiful paradise. Our relationship with God is perfect. But then we see that God has given man free will. That God has given us the ability to choose to follow his rules or not. And so the author has put this whole text together that really in many ways, explains how we ended up in the messed up world that we're in now. God set us up in paradise. We had this great relationship, and then we chose to do something other than what God has done, has asked us to do. I mean, don't eat of the one tree, right? And we couldn't help ourselves. We did that, even though God had told us not to. So, so free will is a gift that God has given to us really out of love. I mean, what, what love is there in having a puppet? I mean, how can we really love a God if we're just being puppeted by God? So free will is something that God has given us. And, and from this specific text that we read today, I, I'm really struck at the beauty of the relationship between man and woman. Really, the idea, and the word is helpmate. We are to be helpmates to one another. And as I read the text that I've shared with you, I'm struck by that. That that's our role in life is to be a helpmate to one another, to our spouses. And I mean, that's something that my wife would tell you I probably don't do a very good job of, but I try to really take to heart to be a helpmate to my wife. So today we've looked at two stories of creation, two stories of how we came into being. It's always helpful as we study the Bible to understand the authorship, to understand why they're writing to a particular audience, the purpose of that writing. But let me be clear. Scripture is the living, breathing Word of God. And there is a place in which when we read Scripture, home alone, in church, wherever, the Holy Spirit is present, working in us and on us as we read Scripture. 
It's why you can read the story of the prodigal son for the 100th time and all of a sudden go, I never saw that. So we're talking to you for the next few weeks about sort of some head stuff, some head space about studying Scripture and being interpreter of Scripture. But let me just remind you, there is always, always a place for heart as we read Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit, as it works in you and on you as you read it. And so as we talk about the next few weeks, kind of about sort of the right headspace for this, I just want you to know that we also know that there is a place for the heart when we read texts, when we read scriptures. I'm looking forward to this sermon series. I think it's going to be fun. I hope you will enjoy it as well. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are your created and you are the creator. We are so grateful that you have deigned to make us, that you have deigned to let us live, that you have given us free will. But Father, we choose you. We choose life through Jesus. We want to be a follower of Jesus. Help us, help us to be deserving of the grace that you have shown us, the grace that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen.